How many of you are here for the first time? You've never been here before. Oh, wonderful. Good to have you here this morning. Good to have you here. <clears throat> Hopefully we won't drive you away, you know. Four more days. Four more days. Ronnie, what am I talking about? Four more days we get a new year. Oh, man. <laughs> How many of you are glad to see 2020 come to an end? Only about a third of you. What, what, what's wrong with the rest of you people? <laughs> How many of you are hoping for a much better 2021? If you're hoping for better in any category, 2021, raise your hand. Now, those of you who are not hoping for that, what are you hoping for? I mean, could... Could next year possibly be any worse than this year? Well, you know. Remember our definition of hope. And I think it's in your notes, is it? Hope is a desire or an expectation for something that we believe is good and is beneficial. Hope is that activity, that reality in our lives that very much drives what we do, isn't it? We look for a new job because we're hoping for a new job. We're hoping to move into a particular neighborhood so we do something about that. Hope is a driving force for our lives. It's one of the driving forces. But the question is this, not that we're not hoping for a better 2021. I am. I'm hoping that COVID dies at the end of 2020. Amen. I'm hoping the thing dies at the end of 2020. The problem is, what is the sureness on what are we basing the security, the firmness of our hope? As we hope, for instance, in 2021, or whatever it is that we're hoping for. All of us could have a whole category of the issues that we're looking for, for 2021. But the question is not what am I hoping for? But what is the foundation of my hope built on? Is it built on a real secure truth foundation? Is it really anchored in what God is doing? Or is my hope for 2021 or any other category really just wishful thinking? So if I tell you, then I'm hoping for a better 2021. Is that real solid anchored hope or is that essentially wishful thinking? Which one would it be? Hmm? You can speak here. It's a Pentecostal, oh, you know, charismatic church. It's okay. 
You can join me in speaking. I don't mind. It's wishful thinking, isn't it? Isn't it really wishful thinking? Now, is, is that wrong to have wishful thinking? No, it's not wrong. The problem is, if our wishful thinking is understood to have a firm foundation, if our hope is really so significant to us that if we don't achieve or realize that for which we are hoping, then what's going to happen? We're going to be frustrated. We're going to be just depressed. We may even experience some despair. Now, I don't know if you're like I am. Hopefully you're not like I am, Josh, but you know. I've had times in my life when that goal of my hope, that object of my hope, didn't pan out, as they say. And I was really disappointed. Any of you ever felt that before? And so what's the problem? The problem is the foundation upon which we are building or have set or anchored our hope. All hopes will be based on one of two foundations, either one or the other. But they will be anchored in either one or the other. They will be either anchored in wishful thinking, which may or may not happen. Or they are based in biblical hope. They are based in the purpose and power of God himself. And so the difficulty or the challenge perhaps is for us is to determine and look at our hopes in such a way to try to differentiate and decide, discern. Is this a, a genuine biblical hope that I can rest my life upon, a hope that will really carry me all the way through to experience the good and the blessings of God? Or is this a hope that will allow me, uh, that will take me off the road and crash me into the ditch? I want to make sure that I'm building my life on a firm foundation of the hope that God gives us. What does that hope look like? Well, in 1 Peter 1, 3, this is what the apostle says. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. In other words, to become believers to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, do you see what he did? He doesn't say to a hope because that could be any kind of a hope, perhaps. He says, to a living hope. Now, what is a living hope? A living hope is a hope that obviously has life and power and vitality and direction 
and ultimate getting or the achieving of the goal. It's something that is alive. Why is the hope alive? What causes this hope that he's talking about to be alive? Because you see, this hope is living because it is anchored in, built upon, set on the Lord Jesus who is alive forevermore. This is a living hope because we have a living Savior upon which this hope is built. That's why this is a living hope. So our question this morning is, are we building, setting our lives upon a hope which is dead, living as opposed to dead? Or are we setting our lives on a hope that is living and vibrant and is alive? Why? Because it's built on him who has risen from the dead. Our hope is a living hope built on the sure foundation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why is our hope as believers certain? Why? Because you see, this one who came and who died and who was buried rose again. And so the hope of our lives is based securely upon and is set in the rock, the assurance, the truth, the fact that Jesus is alive. He's alive. Why couldn't they find a body? Why couldn't the Jews and the Romans and the whoever's find a body? Why haven't scientists today or archaeologists or whoever found a body? Why not? Why? Anybody have the answer? Say it again. There ain't no body to find. He rose from the dead. And you see, this is the cornerstone upon which our hope is to be built. He's alive. Now, you know, one of the difficulties we have as believers, we've read the Bible, we've seen the movies, we've been to church. And so when we say he's alive, okay, Sophie, right? Yeah, he's alive, right? It's, it's not a wondrous thought any longer to us. It's not a miracle. The difficulty is we take it for granted. But there is a man who died for our sin and whom God raised again. And because there is a man in the heavens, this God-man, this Son of God who has eternally clothed himself with a human body and soul because there is a man in the heavens at the right hand of God the Father. Those who have trusted him for their salvation will be with him forever. Amen? That's where our hope is. It's built upon him and the fact that he has risen from the dead. This is the only sure foundation that anyone can have. Every other foundation is wishful thinking. 
You see, we have been in a series for a little while. And as I mentioned in the first service, it's really a miracle here. Pastor Keith started the series, what, three weeks ago maybe? Three weeks? I didn't do well in math. Three or four weeks ago. And he said, you know, it's going to be a short series of three or four weeks. And actually, I think next Sunday is the ending of the series, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know about that. So this is going to be, you are going to be witnessing a miracle that we're going to stay within the time parameter that he said we would. <laughs> this is almost like raising Lazarus from the dead. But the series has been about brokenness to hope. Brokenness where everything of our lives that is characterized by brokenness means that all of our hope is also broken and insufficient and wishful thinking. But the hope that the gospel gives, the hope that God gives us is that secure foundation that we can depend upon for life now and for life eternally. So we have been looking at Romans chapter 5. And so this morning we'll go back there and turn to the first two verses of Romans chapter 5 to look at how the Apostle Paul talks about hope. And in verse 1, he will set the foundation upon which our hope is built. We need to understand the foundation a little bit. And then in verse 2, he'll talk about some of the benefits that we have, having been anchored in the gospel. So let's read together. You should have it either in your notes or perhaps you have a Bible with. And one of the things that I like to emphasize is when you read the word of God, you should have a pen or at least the ability to write on these tablets or whatever it is. And so as we go through it, we'll talk about a few of the words that are in the scripture there. They're extremely significant. So feel free to take your pen and underline and make notes on them. Because this is our foundation. Because when the enemy comes a knocking and comes a banging against our houses, we need to know that we're secure in Christ. So Romans chapter 5 verses 1 to 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained an introduction or access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt or we rejoice in the glory of God. So in verse 1, Paul will set forth the foundation. What is why do we have a foundation? How do we know we have a foundation? What has God done that causes us to be able to depend upon this foundation and no other foundation? First of all, in Ephesians 2.1, I think, again, this might be in your notes. This is what we are told. This is the place that all of us began. We were all dead in our trespasses and sin. Now, what does that mean we were dead? How could I be dead when I'm alive? 
What does that mean? What does that deadness? We have to remember who we were, or perhaps you may be here this morning, and this is who you are even today. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. And, of course, the Holy Spirit is talking about a spiritual relationship to God. Every one of us were conceived in and born into a broken relationship with God. That means this, that everything about our life was a result of and characterized by sin. Everything was broken. And so we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And we were by nature children of wrath. So what was the result of our brokenness? We were all under the wrath or the condemnation or the judgment of God against us because of our sin. Which means this. That if we die physically and are in that same spiritual place, we will forever experience the wrath of God. Once we die, and if we're not saved, if we don't have Christ as our life, the door of opportunity will have been shut forever and locked down where there is no hope forevermore and for all eternity. It is finished, final, final, forever. This is a description of the brokenness of every one of us into which we were born. We were separate from Christ having no hope and were without God in the world. Romans 5.10, the Holy Spirit tells us we were even enemies of God. This is how we all began. Any hope in this condition is absolutely wishful thinking. That means this. That every person on the planet who is under the wrath of God, who has not been saved, who is not a child of God, everything about their lives is wishful, wasted thinking. No matter what life is here, the end result will be eternal destruction. Only those who have experienced what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, have their hope now based as a living hope in the glory and in the grace of God. We started off real hopeless, but you see, God sent his son and fixed our brokenness. So what does the verse say? Having been justified by faith, we have, when? Now, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what happened? Jesus came into the world. 
And at the end of his earthly life, he goes to the cross. And at the cross, God the Father places all of the sin and the guilt of our sin upon the shoulders of his own son so that in his death, all of the wrath of God, the full display and activity of the justice of God that we deserved was paid for by him at the cross, which means this, as a result of his work, when he says it is finished in John 19, 30, it means this, that Jesus has fully paid all the penalty and all the price for all the sin of all God's people for all time. All of it. As a result of that, now God can correctly and justly forgive us of all our sin. Of how much? <laughs> how much? All our sin. How much of our sin? The sin that we inherited from Adam when we were conceived, conceived in sin from that very moment of conception, sin all the way to the moment we leave this earth and breathe our last. Every absolute activity of sin and is what? Forgiven at the cross. Anything left out? No. And as a result of the forgiveness, you see, there's something bigger than this here now, or at least as big, sorry. How many of us have forgiven someone of something really nasty, really bad, but when you see that person, that thing comes back into your life and it begins to rub you the wrong way and you know and you begin to think about it and you see the person doing doing something and you begin to judge and relate to that person in relation to the sin but you for, you've forgiven him but you've not forgotten do you know what i'm talking about that's a normal human tendency so god didn't forgive you ben and say ben you're forgiven <laughs> oh boy and the next time you do that, yeah, look at this. I've forgiven you. And look what you're doing. I've forgiven you, and you're still doing the same thing. Grow up. He doesn't do that. When God forgives us, he makes a judicial declaration or a statement or a decision and pronounces the verdict of the judge of the universe upon our lives, not guilty of any sin whatsoever and forever. That's solid. That's a rock. And then he does something else. He actually clothes us with the very righteousness of his own son, 2 Corinthians 
so that when God the Father sees us and relates to us, he relates to us as if we were as righteous as his own son. Now, what kind of a God does that? This is the core, the foundation upon which we set our hope fully, finally, and forever accepted by God and adopted into his family forever as his children. Is there anything that can move against that successfully? Is there anything that can maneuver it and manipulate it and shake it? Is there? Is there anything greater than the hand of God? We're set in Christ. Now we need to remember that. Because what's going to happen is what has already been happening. Things, stuff happens. Is it, right? The stuff happened in your life. Things go wrong. And when they go wrong, we have such a propensity to allow whatever it is, doesn't matter, to begin to let that thing drive us. Are you with me on this? Am I the only one who's had this experience? It drives us. And if we're not careful, if we let it, it'll drive us right into a ditch. And so when those things come against me, what should I do? I should either remember if you've memorized it, and hopefully you have, but if you haven't, go to your Bible and look at this particular verse and look at what's really happening here. Look at what's really happening. Because below the surface of these winds and ways of the life, we are set on a foundation which is absolutely and eternally solid and secure. And so we must look at the issue. What's going on? Okay, I'll look at it. And then I decide looking at the issue and I feel whatever I feel. I'm aware of that. I acknowledge it. This thing is driving me crazy. It's making me frustrated, angry, jealous, whatever. And I look directly into the face of this enemy. And I see it. I acknowledge the issue and its reaction in me. And then I say, but I will not submit to this because this does not define my hope. Amen. There's a battle going on. There's a battle going on. And the battle is for the hope that God has given us. And we've received this great gift by faith. It's the gift of God. We didn't earn it. Hmm. We didn't even ask for it. Now that bumps us a little bit. What do you mean we didn't ask for it? I certainly did ask Jesus to be my savior. No. 
you responded to Jesus saving you. Say, you didn't initiate anything, neither did I. I was broken. How can something broken initiate anything? How can something dead bring forth life? Jesus, by the Spirit, came into my heart, being born again. We see this in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 7. He worked in my heart when I heard the gospel, when I heard this news about forgiveness and Jesus dying. And something in me welled up and I said, I need that. I need that. I want that. That's the Holy Spirit changing my brokenness and giving me a heart to say yes, yes. That's the gift of faith that he places in me so I will be able and willing to say what? Yes. That's why you're born again. It's initiated by God. Now, you may have responded by saying, Jesus, save me. Certainly. But the reason you responded that way is because Jesus called you into his kingdom to which we responded. Yes, save me, whatever the, the various ways of responding is. So this morning... Our hope is set where God's people are forgiven. As a result, we've been justified. God now deals with each one of us never in relation to our sin that we either have, are, or will commit. God never deals with us anymore in relation to our sin. Why? Because he's dealt with our sin at the cross. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to confess and ask God to change our hearts. That's a different matter. But the condemnation is no longer upon us. That's our foundation. We're secure in Christ. Well, what about the benefits of our hope? Verse 2. He begins to explain some of the benefits. So let me read the verse again. Thus, therefore, having been justified by faith, we what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom... Through whom? Remember that? Through whom? Preposition, relative pronoun. It goes back and points to Jesus. Through whom we have obtained or have been given our introduction or access or free entrance by faith into this grace in which we stand. And as a result, we exalt in the glory of God. So Paul shows us what, what this life does in us, having been justified by faith. We have freedom to enter, a freedom, a right to enter, to have access by the Holy Spirit into the presence of God. Now, when we hear that, <clears throat> how many of us really got excited about that just now? Really, you really got excited about that? One or two people. What's the matter? See, what the matter is, as we take something like this too matter of fact. We're too familiar with it. And we should never allow that to happen. We need to fight for this. Every time I hear, I have access before the throne of my God as a child of God, we should rejoice in our spirits. What would happen? Suppose Luke 
God's eternal purpose was never to include you in the kingdom of God. You were never in the plan of God eternally. Never. Never in the plan of God, any of you. And as a result, the Holy Spirit going through the world, bringing people into the kingdom of God, and he passes right by you. He passes you. Could this have happened? Could God have created us never a part of his eternal plan? Could he have done this? Yes or no? Yes. And would he have been right to do it? Yes. He didn't have to create me a part of his eternal plan. He could have left me out of that plan. There was nothing requiring him to put this old man in his plan. And he passed me right by. Think about it. Think about it. Just take him up. Suppose he passed you right by. Suppose he passed your children right by. Suppose he passed your husband or your wife. Just pass them right by. Your grandchildren. Suppose, Ronnie, he passed number three right by. Forget it. He's not in my plan. Gordon, you're not there. You're not part of the plan. What is your future? You have a certain future under the wrath of God forever. But the fact of the matter is, I was in his plan. Oh, I was in his plan. Can you get a hold of this this morning? I was in his plan. I'm here today because God created me having decided that I would be a part of the body of Christ. He could have passed me right by, but he didn't pass me right by. He chose to save me. Thank God. Thank God. Do we get this? We who were shut out from his presence forever having no hope and without God. He has opened the doors wide to his presence because of the work of Jesus on the cross and has placed us into his family, having justified us by faith. Amen. This is the, the security of our hope. This is why we can live life in a radically opposite way than the rest of the world. And this is why the world needs to see the radicalness of this God who would give his own son in order to save us into his family. You know, in the natural sense, this is crazy. Right, Randy? In the natural, this is crazy. But the good news is, it's God. And it's the truth. That's the good news. So Paul begins to talk about access. We are now able to come into the presence of God forever. And as a result, we can now know the will of God for our lives we don't have to wonder. 
we can ask and we can be told. We have access to all the blessings of God as promised in the Lord Jesus. Now, you may not know you have access to all of them, and it may not feel like you have access to all of them. And surely today we don't have full activity of those blessings in us, but we are participating. Just the mere fact, if nothing else, the mere fact the most significant fact that I am a child of the king is the greatest blessing that I will ever have. Whether or not I receive any other blessing from God, no matter whether my life is going to uh, hell in a handbasket, I am a blessed person and so are you. We have access to God's power for daily living. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When we're tempted to sin, any of us need power to overcome the temptation? Anybody? One hand. Johnny, you're strange. Is there any way that any of us can overcome even one temptation apart from the power of God. Hmm? There's no way for any one of us to overcome and resist even the smallest temptation apart from the power of God. Oh, we think we can. We think we do pretty well until we get to those big ones. You know what I mean? That's when I need God's power. No. We have access to the flowing, continual power of God in our lives that is available to us for overcoming any and every sin whatsoever. We have access to God's continual forgiveness, as I've said. Continual forgiveness. You know, this issue of forgiveness is so central to what has happened at the cross. Our single greatest need, the single greatest issue of our brokenness was our sin. The single greatest need we had was forgiveness. Correct? Forgiveness. And we were forgiven because God chose to forgive us. How can we, now be careful sometimes of questions. You could get stung by questions. How can we maintain forgiveness is the question you may want to know. I'm forgiven. How do you maintain your forgiveness? You don't. God maintains it by the spirit. Well, suppose I'm forgiven. And then as some teach, Tonight I go out and I do something very wrong. I sin in some category. And before I can repent, I have a heart attack and die. Are you still forgiven? Does our forgiveness depend upon our asking for forgiveness? Or does our forgiveness depend upon the shedding of the blood of Jesus to cover all our sin? Hmm? 
Any answers? Keith, you should know this. What does it depend upon, brother? The shedding of the blood of Jesus to cover all our sin. 1 John 1, 7, for the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all our sin if we confess. It doesn't say that. We confess not to be forgiven. We confess because we have been forgiven in order to receive the changing of our minds called repentance by the Holy Spirit. Confession cleanses us of the pollution and the dirtiness of our sin. You remember Luke 15. Jesus is teaching about the boy who left home. He took all of his inheritance. Father, could I have my portion of the inheritance? Sure, here it is. And he goes out and he squanders it all. And so where do we find the son as we get to verse 17? He's in the pig house. He's filthy. He's grimy. He stinks. He's grubby. Verse 17, then he decided to go home. Did he decide to repent? What does verse 17 say? And he came to his senses. What does that mean? On the inside of him, the Holy Spirit caused him to wake up spiritually. How many of us have ever done something and all of a sudden we're like, oh, what am I done? Anybody? I remember that. And I'm, you know, I remember I was in a pattern of life years ago. And all of a sudden, what am I doing? Anybody? Thank you. I really need to know. Do you know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden it hits you. What am I doing? What did I just say? How did I just, where did I just go? What is wrong with me? That's the revelation work of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, wake up. He came to his sin, uh, came to his senses about his sin. You see, he didn't decide to repent. The Holy Spirit moved on him, giving him the ability to repent. That God may grant them repentance. 2 Timothy 2.26 or 5. You have to look that up. And so what happened? I will arise and go to my father. When was he forgiven? When had the father forgiven him? When he rose and got up? Or was he able to arise and get up because his father's relationship was a relationship of forgiveness? You see, I don't believe the young guy would have come back home if he thought the father was going to beat the tar out of him and make him one of the slaves. Maybe he would, but, but he got up because not to be forgiven, but to walk in and receive the benefit, the cleansing of that forgiveness. So he comes on home. And the father, it says, is standing on the hill looking. Isn't this what forgiveness is? The father is continually looking to cleanse us, to minister to us, to bless us to mature us, to, to help us.
and he sees him coming way off. The figure gets a little larger, a little larger as it approaches. Mm, I don't know. I mean, this guy coming is so tattered and filthy. Mm, oh, it's my son. I recognize the way he's walking. It's my boy. He's coming home. My boy. And with that, the father dashes down the hill. And what's the first thing he does to his son? What's the first thing? What? What? Somebody say a word. He kisses him. Put the robe on him. Give him the signet ring, sing of authority, ring of authority. Put the new shoes on him. Why? Why is our hope anchored in this kind of security? Because the Son of God took to himself our humanity, a human body and soul, and paid the price so that God the Father could always, always welcome us home, having forgiven us all our sin. We have access to this. So we no longer have to fear our God. And if we do something wrong, we sin, well, certainly we may feel shame, you know, but there's no fear. We know we can go to God and say, Father, once again, I've sinned, cleanse me, flush me, fill me. This is what you have. This is what your hope is built on if you're saved. If you're not a child of God, this is what Jesus has done on our behalf in order to bring us into the family of God. And if this morning you are here, not having been born again, and you are feeling and sensing, this is what I want. I have to have this. I want this. Even as I am speaking, you just say to the Lord, Lord, please, I don't want to say give it to me, but you may say it that way. I receive this. I want this. I accept this. It's that heart that reaches out and takes hold of that gift that the Father is giving. And as a result of hope based in this kind of a foundation, this foundation, everything else is what? Sinking sand. You remember in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, if your life is built on the rock, if your hope is set on the rock, and the winds and the waves come against you, can they knock the house down? Yes or no? Can a house built on the rock be turned, I mean, knocked down? Can it? What did he say, Ronnie? No, it's going to stand. Christ is our rock. When the winds and the waves come against us, it is hitting Christ himself in whom we live and move and have our being. Now, we feel it, but the destructive forces 
are not going to eternally bother us. We may get whipped around a little bit in life, but our faith and our hope is set in this rock in whom we live forever. But what happens if our hope is based on sand, is built on sand? What did he say? When the winds come and the waves come, what happened? Well, the winds and the waves move the foundation and they knock against the house itself to batter it down where the other wasn't going to be battered down because it was secured in the rock. So if your life built on shifting sand or on the solid rock of Christ. And when we begin to understand and see this and experience this and live this way, we begin to rejoice in the glory of God, we exalt in the glory of God. What is the glory of God? A few weeks ago, Pastor Keith gave us a sermon. In Exodus 33, Moses says to the Lord, show me your glory, I pray thee. So what does the Lord say? I'm going to show you my glory. And what I'm going to do is what? Put you in the cleft of the rock. Do you, do you remember the story? Seriously, do you remember? I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. Now, Nick, why the cleft of the rock? Why not just, I'm going to put you on a rock. Why the cleft? What is a cleft? Do you know what a cleft is? Somebody tell me what a cleft is. I can't hear you. You have a mask over your face. What is a cleft? A split. An impression. Something deep inside the rock. The rock has been split. Who is the rock of ages? Jesus. Who's the rock of ages? Christ is. So what is God showing Moses in that moment? In order to see and experience and literally be a part of my glory, you can only have this experience if you are in the cleft of the rock. And who was split? For our transgressions, as Isaiah 53 says, pierced for our transgressions. Who was split? Who? Jesus was split. It's a picture of the crucifixion. He didn't just say cleft a rock because I have something to say. I want to let you know something. He is showing Moses that the only way for the glory of God to be enjoyed by us and for us to rejoice in it is to have our hope set in the cleft of the rock. And so in chapter 34, the Lord passes by, and in verses 6 and 7, he says this. Then the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquities, transgressions, and sins. This is the glory of God. And as our hope is built on Christ alone, the world is going to see the glory of God, the power of the love of God. There's a story in Luke chapter 8 of a lady who was, had an issue of blood for 12 years. She had lost, I would imagine, all hope for any healing. Until what? One day, a man passes. A man passes. 
Someone comes into town. This man is Jesus of Nazareth. And all of a sudden in her springs up a hope. Not that the world gives, not that doctors can give, and we're not knocking the medical profession. Lord knows we need the medical profession. You so wonderfully by the Holy Spirit. But hope wells up. And that hope for ministry, for blessing, for good is on that man. On that man. And she gets through the crowds and she reaches out. And as he's passing, she touches the hem of his garment, just the hem. Mm. And all of a sudden, she's cleansed. The issue stops. And Jesus says, who touched me? For he felt power go out. And she confessed, I did it. And here's what he says. He says to her, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Daughter. Here's a woman who's probably older than he is. And yet you see that family description. Daughter. Her life was transformed. Why? Because she saw a man on whom she placed her hope. Is this what's happening to us? The two disciples in Luke 24, leaving Jerusalem after the crucifixion, walking along, I can imagine, bent over, just despondent. And Jesus comes up and he says, hey, what's going on? And he says, oh, all the things that have been going on in Jerusalem, you know. Jesus said, what things? And he said, are you the only one who doesn't know? And they talked about this man. who went to the cross and they said this man is the totality of all our needs and our hope of blessing and he died <gasps> and they said we were hoping we were hoping and you remember Jesus talking to them finally revealed himself through the communion, the breaking of bread. And they returned to Jerusalem, totally different people. What had happened? They had misplaced hope. They were hoping that Jesus was the Messiah, but didn't quite get it all right. And when he showed them that he's alive, he's alive, hope sprang into their hearts and their lives were transformed and radically changed. See, church, our hope is not a dead hope like the world. Our hope is what? A living hope in a living Savior who is coming back one day and the grand culmination, the grand crescendo of our hope. Cause right now we're in the process of hopes development and activities. 
one day it will come to a fruition, completed in these words. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remaining will be caught up with him to ever be with the Lord. What is your hope today? What is your hope for 2021? Certainly there are a lot of levels of hope, but all of these levels of hope need to be set upon and in agreement with the great hope that God gives us in Christ. The hope that today we are the children of God and we will be the children of God when Jesus returns. He who died and rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, as surely as he rose then, he is coming back one day. Amen. Jesus will come back for his people. And we have our hope set in what he will do, what he has done, what he is doing. And in his return, is this where your hope is? Don't let the issues of life wash this away. Don't let us throw, don't let it throw us off. Let's be a people who remain anchored in the hope that Jesus is Lord and he's coming back.